everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Have another amazing guest for you this week. Really excited to bring an old colleague and friend of mine to the show, Dan Shawbell. I'll tell you about him in a moment, but before I do, I have some super exciting news. So this week, I pretty much found my destination for my next international retreat. And you may have heard me talk about the Bali retreat, and I'm not doing Bali this year. I just got a strong hit that Bali wasn't the place for us. I even did a poll on Instagram, and a lot of you agreed with me. So 2019, we are going to Greece. Greece is a magical place. The energy there is, oof, it's just super juicy. It's absolutely beautiful. It was a very special place for me this year because it's where I met Steph, my partner, for the first time. And we want to share it with you. So if you want to get on the early bird list for Greece 2019, we don't have the exact dates yet. It's either going to be mid-September or early October. Email jill at christinehausler.com. Only taking about 18 people. So if this is a yes for you, you're going to want to get on the list soon. All right. So today I am talking to author and workplace expert, Dan Shawbell, about how technology has led to increased feelings of loneliness and isolation. So listen in to some surprising statistics that he shares about how our addiction to devices is dehumanizing us. And of course, we give you tips on how to be more connected to actual human beings rather than all your Wi-Fi connecty things. So a little more about Dan. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's a partner and research director at Future Workplace and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. He's the bestselling author of two career books, Promote Yourself and Me 2.0. His third book, which we talk about on the show, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation, is out now. Dan and myself are also both featured experts in the upcoming documentary, The Revolution Generation. Dan and I actually met because you may or may not know this about me, but I'm a millennial expert. It's one of the things that I talk about a lot in my corporate speaking. And we met because we're both millennial and generational experts. So that documentary, The Revolution Generation, will be out soon. You may want to check that out as well. All right. And now on to my talk with Dan. Enjoy. Dan, a longtime friend. I've watched your career grow through the years. It's so great to have you on the show. Absolutely. So happy to see you and, and catch up. Yeah. So I love what we're going to be talking about, which is relates to the topic of your book, but the topic of your book <laughs> has far reaching implications. So I just want to read the title of it. I read it in the intro, but I want to read it again. Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. I mean, the title and the subtitle says so much. And what I love about too, the subtitle is when I read leaders, leaders applies to anyone, whether you're, you know, leading a company, leading a family, leading your own life. What I feel you're really talking about in this book and what we're going to talk about today is really just how we thrive as human beings when it's so easy to be isolated and disconnected. Yeah, we're relying more and more on technology and less and less on face-to-face. I'll just give you a quick example. My favorite stat in the book is the thing that gets in the way of human connections in the workplace is email. Yet a Harvard Business Review study shows that one face-to-face conversation is more successful than 34 emails exchanged back and forth. Wow. Think of all that time wasted. Technology is making us really productive. Technology has tricked us into thinking we have a lot of friends, Facebook friends. 
yet in, in many cases, these are weak ties and in other cases, it's making us less productive. Oh, so let, let's go macro first and then we can dive into some of the, okay, well, what do we do about that question? Why do you think we've become so dependent and reliant on technology? It has to be more than just because it's easy. Yeah. Technology companies like Google and Apple and Microsoft and you know, even Amazon, they've created technology that purposely gets us addicted to it, mm -hmm. right? And so it's engineered into their tools, devices, apps. And as a result, every time we get an alert, every time we get a text, we get excited, we get a jolt, it releases dopamine, pleases mm -hmm. our reward system, we want more and more and more of it. Uh, and then I think we like the convenience of technology. And I think that's the reason why people like Alexa and Siri and just devices in general. It's like, why should I go out to dinner when I can order Seamless or Grubhub or one of those other services, right? It's, it's all about convenience. The reason why Uber and Lyft are successful is, you know, why should I go find a cab when a car can come right to me? Yeah. And I think not, I think we expect instant gratification. We want things now, immediate. No one's you know, patient anymore. And that's factored its way into not just us as consumers, but in terms of work and relationships is, and my mom always says this is like, people don't put a lot of effort into relationships anymore. Yeah. And she's been married for decades. So yeah, so she has credibility. She has credibility. Exactly. So I want to unpack the first point you made there about how we're addicted to it, because I, this is something really important for people to understand. And I explained this in expectation hangover. And I talk about it on the show as well. When all of us as humans, we don't like to feel pain, we have lots of coping strategies for suppressing our emotions. And before technology, coping strategies were like alcohol, food, work, those kinds of things. But now that we have technology, we have so many more numbing strategies than we ever did before. And the thing with technology and the way that we become addicted to it by hitting those dopamine receptors in the brain, which make us feel pleasure and then we want more, is we have to keep upping the ante. So whereas I could be satisfied with 30 minutes on Instagram the next day, one day, the next day I want more, and then I want more, and then I want more. So it just keeps our relationship with technology just keeps getting more and more and more dependent. Have you, did you find that in your research that like yeah. it just keeps going up? Yeah, absolutely. About half of a worker's day is being used spending technology. We tap our devices over 2,600 times a day. We look at our phones every 12 minutes. During a business meeting, we text five times on average. So we, the thing that's most fascinating to me is we can be around a lot of people, whether you're in a subway, you're walking around the, you know, the street, you're in an office, yet no one at the same time because people are physically there, but not mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Mm -hmm. And the, I think part of the reason why people complain about long meetings is because they're just functional and no one's paying attention. So people have to keep repeating and nothing actually gets done. Whereas, you know, a lot of bunch of leaders I interviewed for the book, they put their phones in the middle of the table and yep. people are attentive and the meetings are just, they just flow better and you get to actually understand what people are doing, where they come from, listening to their ideas and coming up with better solutions. And I think that's extremely valuable. And I think technology can be really effective, right? Like I think technology can lead you to that conference room. They can lead you to that party. People can get in synced up with the calendars, mm -hmm. with, you know, Google docs. And I think that's great in terms of sharing ideas that way or, or getting in sync. But you know, if you're in that physical space and you're still using that technology, what was the point of even going there in the first place? Right. And so that these were some aha moments for me. It's like, oh my God, like back in the early days when we first connected, I was using technology to build most of my relationships with all the people we know. 
And over time, I'm like, wow, I feel pretty isolated and lonely. Like these connections aren't as strong as they could be. And then, and then I just started reaching out and, and trying to connect on a more human basis. And it really had a huge impact on me. And I realized that there are five things that are consistent in life, right? Born, uh, die, pay taxes 24 hours in a day and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And mm -hmm. so regardless of how many robots rule the world and what they do to us, we still have the need to connect and feel loved and have friendships and that will never go away. And that's what makes us human. And why do you think that's gotten so much harder for people? I think they use technology as a crutch to human connection. Mm -hmm. uh, and I say use technology as a bridge instead of a barrier. You know, mm -hmm. let it get you to physical situations where you can meet. That's why I like, you know, Eventbrite and Meetup because they're technology tools. But the purpose is to actually meet people in person or attend a conference or some sort of social event. Mm -hmm. So I like that. I think that's the proper use of technology. Um, but technology is not going to make you know, a fight you have with a coworker any better or your, your spouse or your child or your friend, right? Like handling something through text like that is highly ineffective and can make things worse. Mm -hmm. As all you have to do is pick up the phone or meet someone in person and you can get on the same page and it's good for the relationship. So it's, you know, interviewing the hundred young leaders for the book, you know, they said that technology is a double-edged sword, right. whether it's good or bad, it's really how, when, and where you use it. So it's about use cases and situations and being conscious about how you're using it. And what's crazy, and, and you probably hear this a lot with the people you work with is, you know, people care more about the likes and comments of people they don't even know, or maybe not even like than the people who are right in front of them, who they mm. should be spending real, real time with. Yep. Yep. And how do you think, especially for digital natives, people that grew up not knowing what it's like to have a cord on a phone, how do you think that's impacting their communication skills and their ability to be with other humans? Great question. We did a survey of students several years ago and found that about 40% say that technology use has hurt their soft skills, their ability to communicate with each other. So I think some are admitting, admitting it and others are just you know, it's happening and they aren't admitting it. But the thing that most worries me is that teenagers is the first group that would rather text than have an in-person conversation. And mm -hmm. that's never happened. That's, that's not millennials. This is like the first group of Gen Zs that will head into the workplace and they won't want to meet in person. And, mm -hmm. you know, you know, and we've studied this, this is many, many generations, different age groups, different preferences. What I found too is people, what people want is different than how they behave. People want for the most part, besides teenagers, human connection, they want to work at a corporate office. They, they want in-person meetings. They like the human connection uh, element, but they spend 30% of their personal and professional time on Facebook. And that doesn't include Instagram and LinkedIn and all these other tools and devices. So I think it's a alert. It's alert for leaders, mm -hmm. managers, just about anyone of, Hey, like we have to start to prioritize human connection in this age of technology. Otherwise people are going to feel more isolated mm -hmm. and lonely. And there's a loneliness epidemic. Oh yeah. It's yeah. a big, in the United States, Cigna uh, surveyed 20,000 adults, half are lonely, 40% lack meaningful relationships. In the UK, 9 million people are lonely. 200,000 adults haven't spoken to a close friend or relative in the past month. In Japan, 30, a uh, thousand people die of loneliness every year. So this is, wow. this is a pretty big deal. And yeah. that's why in the book and everything I talk about, and I'm sure you agree is like, we need to have friends is, you know, even work friends, yeah. you know, seven, seven percent of the global workforce has zero, zero friends at work. Half has five or fewer yet. We're spending so much time at work in the U S it's 47 hours a week. 
not having your phones the new vacation. We're working outside of office hours yeah. and weekends. So if we don't like who we're working with, it's going to really hurt our workday and thus hurt our life. Oh, I feel that loneliness epidemic. I, I, a lot of people that listen to the show, one of the biggest things I hear is thank you for helping me not feel alone in what I'm dealing with. And I know the importance of human touch, human connection, like we thrive on it. And I think we live in a world that rewards productivity way too much. And we're being productive, quote unquote, productive and efficient at the expense of our own mental health, which is, which is dangerous. So I'm so glad that you're like an advocate (laughs) for us coming to be back to human. And this is, this is a really key topic. I did a whole study on burnout. Mm. Uh, and what we found is people are working more hours, but are not compensated for that. So they're getting burned out and half of all turnover is attributed to burnout. Yeah. Uh, so it actually hurts the company. So even though the company thinks, oh, we're going to like run our employees into the ground and get maximum productivity, it's actually counterproductive. And the cost of replacing each employee is upwards of $10,000 wow. depending on the level. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's, it's actually not worth doing that. It's and not. the time, the time to fill positions, it, it takes longer than it did 10, 15 years ago. So, you know, it's much better to let people have vacations and the new scam for vacations is unlimited vacation days. That means that if you get laid off, you lose those, you can't cash in on any of those vacation days. Wow. And then there's, there's a guilt feeling. And so you end up taking fewer vacation days. And so, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. And I think, I mean, the amount of people taking vacation is, is decreased over the it's years. Decreased, yeah. And so I think it's important that people have time for breaks and vacation. So they're rejuvenated and they can bring their best self into the workplace because people want to bring their full self at work. They yeah. don't want to be, you know, the mom, the professional, they just want to be themselves, especially in today's world. And so we need leaders. We need a, a culture that supports a, the person, not just somebody as a worker. So the problem is very apparent. What are some of the solutions? Like the one thing I'm hearing is if you, if you do run a company, really look at the degree of human connection, be an advocate for people taking vacation days, throw your phones in the middle of a table when you have meetings, encourage people having friendships in the workplace. What are some other tips for both people that you know are running companies, we'll say, but also maybe some people that aren't in the corporate workforce, whether they're not working or they're an entrepreneur, what are some tips that people can do to, to be more human and less isolated? Yeah, focus on the four employee engagement factors, belonging, purpose, happiness, and trust. So if you're a leader and you focus on those, People will naturally want to socialize. They'll feel comfortable being themselves and sharing ideas. Google did Project Aristotle where they were looking at the highest performing teams. And the thing that made for the highest performing teams was psychological safety. You know, coming into work, sharing your ideas freely without penalty. I think that's so powerful and simple at the same time. So I think a level of transparency and trust and, and really supporting people really goes a long way. And then we asked, you know, how do you create a more socialized workforce where people are connected on a personal level, not a professional level. And what people said was they want workations, which is, you know, doing work with your team outside of maybe your city in a, in a separate location, which takes you out of t- the typical work day. And so you feel more comfortable and you're able to open up more uh, team building activities. Right. So like Ernst & Young and other companies, they do volunteering. So you get, you know, a bunch of your employees and they start building houses together in, you know, impoverished areas, or they teach kids how to read. And by doing that, there's a personal element that comes out. 
and you mm. feel more connected to the people you're around, the sense of belonging and purpose, and it's really powerful. And then just social events, mm-hmm. as simple as simple as an office birthday party, right? Mm. It's, it's funny because we I did a whole, you know, comedy sketch with my actor friends for the book, and it was a birthday party from 1980 versus today, right? In 1980, oh. they are celebrating with the birthday boy, and in today's world, people are you know, more focused on the people who aren't even at that birthday party. Wow. Okay. So for people who are like, I spend way too much time on my phone, but literally I'm addicted to it. How do you start to, cause we're not just talking about starting a new habit. We're, we're actually dealing with brain chemicals. Like there's, there's literally an addiction here. So how do we start breaking the addiction? Small steps before big leaps and awareness before anything else, right? The, you can't solve a problem unless you're aware. And I'm obsessed with data, as you can tell, I'm a stat geek. And so I think you can use, there's an app called Moment, and then there's Rescue Time, which is more of a browser app. And they help you understand where you're spending your time online. So, you know, if you're spending five hours on Facebook a day, you'll know that. And by knowing that, that's the first step in doing something about it. And then it's small steps, right? It's, you know, not having your phone in your bedroom, but, you know, you'll sleep better. And that's, it's something small, but you do that once you get the habit of never doing it and you almost create a rule around it. Like, I'll give you an example. Like I interviewed a leader for the book and him and his wife would always have their devices on in the bedroom and it disrupted the marriage. And so they decided, Hey, no technology in the bedroom. And they now have a better, healthier marriage as a result, because they're actually talking things out and, and asking each other how their day is. They're having real human conversations. And that happens at the dining room table. I interviewed Dr. Oz for the book. And I've heard this from other like celebrities and non-celebrities is, you know, in the kitchen room table, you know, put your phones in the middle of the table, actually be attentive and talk about what's going on in everyone's life and catch it and really actually catch up. And, you know, it's timely because Thanksgiving's coming up. Right. And so I think it's important to, to kind of celebrate and connect with people uh, and technology is really not going to, it could facilitate it, but it's really not going to you know, bring the humanity out in the real conversations? No, not at all. I mean, one of the the best things that I do is turn my phone off at night and not check it first thing in the morning. And lately I haven't been as good about that. And I feel the difference because how we start and end our day is super important. And if we start that day with that addiction to that phone, and please, I'm not the president of the United States, like there's nothing happening that's that important that I really need to check. And it makes a massive difference, a massive difference. And especially when, you know, I live with, with my partner now, but when I was single, I spent way more time alone. And I could chart, like when I was on digital devices more, the loneliness really would kick in versus if I use my alone time to be in nature or to maybe take my laptop to a cafe or read a book or make plans with friends, I was way, way happier and experienced a lot less loneliness. And that was also one of the things, and I'm curious if you did any research on the dating and app world. I hated online dating. <laughs> like I hated it. And I, I hated like people wanting to have long text conversations. And I would say to men, I'm like, look, I don't really want to text forever. If you want to hop on the phone, that'd be great or meet for coffee because I just knew that the texting back and forth, like that wasn't authenticity and it wasn't a way to get to know someone. So have you done any research on that element of technology? 
I've done some research. It wasn't a main focus, but you know, I think with apps, especially with the ones where you swipe, everyone almost becomes disposable to you. And so you're like, oh, there's always going to be someone else. And I th- and you're looking for perfection when you yourself aren't perfect. And yeah, I think it can be very lonely because it can lower commitment overall, right? I mean, you know, I think people are impressed that my parents have been married so long and living in New York, there's, you know, a lot of broken families and, and it's, a, there's a big app culture here. And I think, I think it can be very hard. It can be good too, right? It, you know, you enhance your pool of potential partners, but at the same time, technology creates the illusion of abundance when not everyone is right for you in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. And we're kind of back to what you said earlier, that you're getting a, a false sense of connection rather than human connection. What happens, um, I'm curious, and you may not know this, I know you're not a neuroscientist, but what happens to the brain and the nervous system in the body? I know there's an oxytocin release, but I wonder if you have any other research when we actually do connect, like, are we more focused? Do we retain information more? Like, what are some of the other benefits of connecting in person with someone. Yeah, it's all of that. It's creativity. It boosts productivity. I mean, you know, when you're happy and fulfilled, it's very easy to inspire others to to achieve the same thing, right? Like chapter one of the book is focused on fulfillment. Once you figure yourself out, once you're happy, once you know who you are, what you're good at, you're focused, you know, your goals, you know, your mission, like walking over to someone else and helping them achieve their goals is much easier because you have the positive energy, you're excited and they get inspired by that. It's contagious. And by solving things for yourself, you realize the process you need to go through to help other people as well, the questions to ask and how to guide them. So I think it's really powerful. Whereas I, what I mean, I've read a lot of articles about how, Oh, just, you know, help your team, help your team create a development plan. Um, but I think you need to do it for yourself first. It's like, if you're a life coach and you haven't figured yourself out, like how are you supposed to help other people? Right. I think, I think to really inspire people, you know, as an entrepreneur, for me as an you know, entrepreneur, author, speaker, researcher, you name it. Like if I didn't do 45 research studies, how can I inspire other mm-hmm. people to start to do a research study or to speak on stage after 170 speeches or three right. books? Like if I don't do it, how can I help other people do it? Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, let's, let's dive in a little bit more into your book. Um, you mentioned some chapters to me before we started talking that you think would be really relevant to everybody we have listening. Could you tease those a little bit and tell a little bit more about what people could learn from the book? Yeah. I mean, I think some of the, the chapters that are very relevant are chapter three, practice shared learning. Learning in isolation is pretty ineffective. The average relevancy of a learned skill is only five years. So in order to keep up with all these changes that are happening in society, we have to rely on each other. And what I've seen over the past many years is that we become our own filters for information. And if we're able to spread that knowledge, because we know our teammates already, you know, in a, on a human basis and an intellectual basis, then we can help them out. And you end up creating a culture of learning where everyone's sharing and growing together. Uh, then I have a really important chapter that was really hard to write. It was chapter nine is lead with empathy. And it talks about how, you know, you might not see someone mentally injured, but you can see them physically injured. So people are, want to bring their whole self into the workplace, whether they want to or not. And part of that could be a mental illness, right? And you have to be able to meet them where they are and support them on a human level, uh, because then they'll be able to bring their best self to work, be productive, happy, and stay with you longer. Uh, and you, it's like a use case 
you know, if you help someone else out, uh, other people get inspired. They say, oh, wow, this, our leader, our manager is uh, welcoming of issues that we might face because you don't know when tragedy could strike either. So true. If tragedy strikes or we're on our deathbed, we're not like, oh, geez, I'm so glad that I kept up with Instagram. Those, those aren't the thoughts that we're having. So I love that you're bringing the importance of human connection back. So as we wrap up, you talked about a bunch of tips, small steps. What are some things like if you were to kind of list your top five things, and it's fine to mention something you've already mentioned that are small, applicable steps people can put into action today to be more human and less addicted to technology, what would those five things be? Number one, put personal related activities on your calendar. You know, mm. if, if we live and die by our calendar, if it's on our calendar, it doesn't exist. Our calendar must reflect our human time, our personal time, plus our professional time. I think that's so important, right? And we found in a recent study, we interviewed people in eight countries and found that over 70% of the workforce doesn't have enough time for personal related activities. So make time for it uh, and put, put those type of activities in your calendar. That's really important. Number two, in your next meeting, try and put everyone's phone in the middle of the table and set aside less time for the meeting so you're more efficient. And you put pressure on people to be attentive and step up and, and share what they know. Number three, get in the habit of reading early in the morning like I do. And then thinking about how and who on your team can benefit from what you're learning and sharing. And then freely share it with them. Um, because then they're more likely to share something with you and think of you. And, and everyone starts to benefit from each other. Number three you know, at least have one social event every quarter, right? Make sure that, you know, for me, I have two business partners. We have a team, you know, we're meeting with clients. We have, uh, we have an event tomorrow, right? And we're meeting with 85 of our clients in person. You know, you have to make time for people in person. So, you know, on your calendar, make sure that every month, every quarter that you're actually meeting with people, even if they work promote, use video conferencing, do your best to, you know, empower the people who might not be in the same office as you, because it's going to mean a lot to them. One of the leaders in the book, they let the remote workers lead the meetings. I thought that it's simple. Mm. It, it's almost obvious. I was like, oh, it's like an aha moment. And now I'm using it, you know, and talking about it with a lot of people. I'm like, wow, if you empower the people who aren't even with you, that's going to really create a sense of belonging, mm. uh, which is, which is a really great thing. And, you know, I think another one, I think the last one is, uh, you know, be practice like being open and honest, tell yeah. people what's really happening yeah. in your life and the company. And the more you open up, and this is what I found in my life. I'm sure you found this as well. The more you open up and are at least slightly vulnerable, the more people will trust you and open up to you and you'll get a real sense for who people are yeah. and what they want. And then you'll be able to better serve that their needs. And thus they will be a high performing worker, stay with you longer and everyone will win. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, me being vulnerable with my, about my own experience has been <laughs> one, of, one of my best quote unquote marketing strategies because it, you, you're relatable, you know, when, you, when you're open. And I just want to highlight everything you said because Jill, who's been with me for nine years and just is such so influential in our business, she lives in LA. And when I was still living in LA, she'd come over like pretty much twice a week. And then when I moved, we felt the impact of that. We're like, oh, whatever, we can just Skype or whatever. And it wasn't working. Like it was not the same as being together. And so she's amazing. She drives down at least once a month, spends two or three days at my house 
and we get so much more done because we're together. And it's great for our relationship, like our relationship with suffering because we weren't seeing each other. We weren't hugging each other. We weren't having those non-work related conversations that you have when you're making lunch or later at night or whatever. So the, the importance of physical contact with people, I can't emphasize that enough. And I'm I'm really lucky because Stefanos, my partner, he's he's half Greek, half Italian. So he's really, you know, into physical touch and affection and quality time. Like quality time and affection are his love languages. And at first I had to adjust to that because I'm like acts of service and words of affirmation. That's mine. But I felt the impact of that kind of connection. And I think that's so key to relationships and too many relationships and marriages fall apart because people make their phone more important than their partner and their to-do list more important than actual connection time and undervalue that just being with another person because it's not quote unquote productive. I think honestly, productivity is, is killing relationships in a lot of ways. So I just thank you so much for putting this information out there both for businesses to see that actual human connection is going to make them quote unquote more productive and efficient. And there are so many takeaways for all of us in just getting back to being human because we're not robots. We're here to interact with other humans, right? I love I love the quote, if you act like a robot, you'll be replaced by one. Oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> so true. So true. So tell tell us how people can get the book, how people can find more about your work share a little bit about your other books as well. Yeah. So each book I write helps get people to the next phase of their career. Me 2.0 is college the first job, promote yourself as its first job to management. And now back to human is a leadership book. And you can follow my work by going to danshawbell.com. So it's D-A-N-S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com. And I have a podcast, five questions with Dan Shaw Bell. And uh, you can read the books on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, wherever books are sold. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. I appreciate it.